Welcome, everybody, to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. I am Bliss, and as always, I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hello. Hi. Happy American Pride, y'all. It's actually also most of Canada's, too. It's really... Is it? Don't we normally run on different months? We don't have a Pride Month in Canada. We just... Each city kind of has its own Pride Week. Yeah. Usually. Ours is usually in August in Vancouver, but (laughs) in in other parts of Canada, it's it's June or July or sometime in the summer. Yeah. Speaking of Pride... That's not what we're talking about this week. No. No. I've had... So much, too much discourse over kink at Pride. I, uh, yeah. And it went mainstream for a minute, and I wanted to die. Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about? So, something, though, <laughs> something I found buried in the discourse, though, is this meme. And it's not a very popular meme, but it caught my attention because I thought it's stupid. <laughs> so what it is, is it's a little pundit square. You know, the four boxes. And it breaks down to four different ships. So a queer ship for queer people, queer ship for straight people, uh, straight ship for queer people, straight ship for straight people. And it was rolling around in the My Hero Academia fandom, which is where I came across it. And then I went looking for it in other fandoms. Like I found it in the Cookie Run fandom. I don't... And I don't know who any of these cookies are, so I couldn't tell you whether or not these ships were correct or not. I'm still struggling with the fact that there is a cookie run fandom. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm gonna play the game, and then I'm like, maybe I just enjoy the mystery of it all. I don't know these cookies. take cookie run seriously, because what it reminds me of is the gingerbread ninja game. Do we know about that game? I don't know about that. I don't... I think that's what it was called. Hang on. Okay. It's called Ninja Bread Man. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, (laughs) And it's not really. And, like, the game's bad. Like, I don't know if I'm blowing anyone's mind there, but the game's bad. And, like, several Let's Players have done funny videos where they struggle to play the game properly because the (laughs) controls are so bad and stuff. And that's all I can think of when I think Mm. of Cookie Run. Because I don't know anything about Cookie Run except for the fact that they're cookies. The main characters are cookies, I'm told. Yes. (laughs) Well, so, like I said, I've trolled around looking for different examples of this stupid meme in any and all fandoms. Because at first glance... To me, I felt, with my feelings, Uh (laughs) that it felt regressive. It felt regressive to say queer people only like this dynamic in their ships, while straight people only like this dynamic in queer ships. But then again, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, well, yeah, that is sort of how media in general treats queer relationships and queer representation. So, so I'm conflicted because I know that it's not black and white, but also media sure does treat it like it is. Uh huh. So I thought maybe we could play in this space and talk about, you know, 
queer ships for queer people <laughs> versus queer ships for the straighties. Especially because we are on a rise of more queer representation in popular media, be it good or bad. Look at how many times Disney has introduced its first queer character in a movie. Yeah, what are we on, like seven now? <sighs> Maybe seven. Uh, one of them was in the <laughs> Cruella prequel thing they just did. Of course. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. I The only thing I know about that movie is that Cruella's tragic backstory is that her mother gets killed by evil Dalmatians, and that's fucking funny. And, okay, can we just, <laughs> for a second, can we have a little divergence here on the Cruella movie? Mm-hmm. First off, okay, her whole point was not that she hated Dalmatians. She wanted to make a coat, and she didn't care about puppies. That was it. That was yeah, the point. She didn't have, like, a personal vendetta against Dalmatians. Yeah. She just was apathetic to their suffering. Yes. Which is not the same. The, absolutely not the same. Secondly, if you've ever tried to train a Dalmatian, probably the worst possible dog to train as an attack dog. Dalmatians are insane. They're psycho dogs. I had a Dalmatian, and I loved that dog more than anything, but he would bark at my food. Because he was afraid that my food was going to attack me. He probably just wanted it. No, he was afraid <laughs> of it. He was afraid of, like, literally everything. I had to hand feed that but, dog. But, yeah, the thing the thing that's hilarious about that to me is that if her motivation was just, like, I hate Dalmatians, then turning them into a coat is maybe the stupidest <laughs> way to go about harming Dalmatians because... There's a lot of, like, time and extra labor involved in that when you really could just chuck the puppies into a wood chipper. Yeah. And they would be just as dead. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that was stupid. And I hope Disney stops doing this, but I know they won't. No. Because they love money. Yeah. I was interested in her having a backstory, but I was not hopeful that it was going to be interesting. No, and it's it's apparently not. Yeah, it's apparently really bad. Like, if I read that in a fic, if <laughs> if I was reading a fan fiction and someone was like, oh, I'm going to take this, like, kind of one-note underdeveloped character from the canon material and, like, flesh him out and w- imagine what their, their childhood and upbringing was going to be like, and I read that sort of weird ham-fisted justification <laughs> in yeah. a fic... I would I would send it to all my friends to laugh at. Yeah. Like that's that's like <laughs> middle school fan fiction levels of yeah, writing. It's really bad. Uh, I don't know. I have a lot of uh this isn't what we were supposed to talk about anyway. I just really had a lot to say about the fucking Cruella movie cuz I'm mad. It's fine. It's not important. Moving on. Kelty, Kelty, your feelings are valid. Don't Don't validate my feelings. Man, I am waiting, man. The day is coming. The day is coming where someone is going to say that to me and mean it. And I don't trust myself to have a good reaction. No. I don't think I'd be able to believe anybody is actually genuinely saying that to me sincerely. It just sounds so... And I I use that word. I tweeted that I wanted people in the closet to feel valid this pride. It but like, still sounds stupid and schlocky. Well, and the thing is, is that, like, the word's been robbed of all meaning. 
it's kind of like problematic. We're like, what do you mean it's problematic? Like it's actually it's actually a problem, or you just don't like it? Like well, I don't. The thing is, is that problematic and valid have now just come to replace people's usage of the words good and bad. Mm-hmm. And a f- fun thing I like to do if I'm feeling like being an asshole is when someone says something is problematic, I ask them to identify the problem. Because usually they cannot, because they are not using that word in its intended meaning. They are just saying, I don't like it. Yeah. Same with valid, because, like, you know, most things are valid, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... That doesn't make them good or healthy. Yeah, my state of mind is valid, and that's basically all you can say about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little insulting when people call me valid. It's even less than good. Yeah. It just is. <laughs> it just is. It is an existence. It is it is a state of being. And like, yeah, I am aiming for so much more than valid that if mm-hmm. anyone ever tried to say that to me and mean it like a genuinely uplifting sentiment, I would be mad. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> you know what else is valid though? My take on queer media. So Okay. I feel like y'all would agree that there is a difference between movies like, say, Call Me By Your Name and Love, Simon, and the intended audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One is definitely written for queer people, and one is definitely written more geared towards... Mainstream. Yeah. When you're trying to appeal to everyone... You basically have to sand down all the edges. Yeah. You have to make it friendly for all audiences. Palatable. Palatable! Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Call Me By Your Name, while, like, critically acclaimed, is not a movie that, like, everybody is gonna watch and be like, yes, this is a good family-friendly movie (laughs) about a happy queer time. No. No. Definitely got a lot of- got a lot of hate for the acclaim it received, in fact. Yes, it did. So, yeah- and I, and, and I'm not trying to shit on Love Simon or its spin-off TV show, Love Victor. As a TV show, yeah, there's like a spin-off TV show where it's the same thing except the main kid is new. It's on Hulu. Oh, it's still like a handsome white boy, I think. I think he's of color. Oh, is he? Okay, hang on. Oh, let that's me, nice. Let me find out. He is half Puerto Rican, half Colombian. Nice. Ah, see. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything about that. So I take it back. I mean, I'm... I don't know anything else about the TV show. No one has, like, approached me breathlessly, like, imploring me to watch <sighs> it. So I imagine it's not making huge waves, but that's nice. That is nice. And so was Love, Simon. Love, Simon was nice. Uh, it was not no, for me, though. I am absolutely not shitting on Love, Simon. Hang on. Maybe I am. I don't know. Well, okay, so my opinion on Love, Simon is that it's definitely something that, like, is long past due. Like, just Mm -hmm. a kid's normal, boring, coming-of-age story, and he's gay, and and that's it. Nothing nothing more than that. Just the twist is that he's gay. Mm -hmm. And there is something I struggle with when discussing queer media, and I don't know how to reckon with it, I guess. So let me let me break it down for you. On the one hand, 
in Love, Simon, Simon's character is basically the most inoffensive gay person possible. Mm-hmm. He is mm-hmm. white, he is beautiful, he is masculine, he is like a football star or something on his on his team. Nothing about him is flamboyant, nothing about him is effeminate, blah blah blah. So the cynical part of me is like, of course, this is the only way a mainstream audience could tolerate a gay character, is if he's just like them. Mm-hmm. Like, if this kid were flamboyant or effeminate or, you know painted his nails or wore makeup or something or talked with a lisp, God help you, like, mainstream audiences would not relate with that at all. On the other hand, I do know gay people. They fucking adhere to fucking social norms and gender norms and play sports and are handsome and charismatic and nobody hates them, I guess. (laughs) And so on the one hand, I'm definitely not trying to say that fucking white kids in the suburbs who are on their high school football team are never gay, obviously. But on the other hand, it sure seems like we get a lot more movies about those sorts of kids than about people who are visibly, undeniably queer and act in ways that make mainstream audiences uncomfortable about gender roles or social norms. And you don't see those characters ending up in blockbuster films or TV shows or and when you do it's like either the sidekick beca- well it's or it's like in a in a property that's edgy on purpose like mm-hmm. euphoria where you know the transgender character is sleeping with all of her friends parents Same. because all of the adults in the neighborhood are fucking like evil. It's one of those shows where, like, you know, all the teenagers are, like, hardcore drug addicts and all having unprotected sex with adults and, you know, just like a Skins, but for 2020. Yeah. What it is, to me, like, you're right when you say that it's long past due, because in my head, we're long past the stage where we have to hold straight people's hands and be like, we're just like you! Oh, absolutely. Because we're not. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not anything like straight people. And I don't care to be. I I don't want it. That's the thing, is I look at what straight society, heteronormativity has gotten us, and I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want a fucking marriage. I don't want monogamy. I don't want kids. Good lord. No, I don't want any of that. I'm not trying to say that if you want that stuff, you're a bad queer I'm just trying to say we've gotten past the stage or we should have gotten past the stage of assuring straight people that we can be just like them. And now they need to learn that we're not always and we don't care to be. And I don't want your acceptance. I just want you to get out of my way. I want you to leave me alone and leave my family alone and and understand that I'm going to exist whether you like me or not. Yes, I'm done asking permission from straight people. I don't need your permission or your approval, actually. And I'm done trying to defang myself and defang my experience so that you find me more palatable. Yeah. I mean, if some kid somewhere finds comfort in the idea that they're not a freak, they're not an alien, that being gay, being bisexual, being trans is a normal part of the human experience and 
hopefully your friends and family won't reject you for it, then I'm certainly glad that things like that exist. But for me, in my adulthood, I am very fucking done with trying to fit myself into a heteronormative mold so that, you know, people can tolerate me and understand me in the way of, like, you know, I've talked about homonationalism on this fucking podcast before, and it happens a lot in Canada, where, like, a certain group of queer people have gained acceptance from the state apparatus, you know, usually through the form of gay marriage, same-sex marriage, and so now, because we have we have received that legitimacy from the state, we begin to align our goals more with the states. Whereas before, even, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the state was openly hostile to our existence, uh-huh. as was mainstream society. And queer people in certain countries now find themselves a little bit on the inside of the state apparatus, getting validity and approval from the state apparatus and i don't want that (laughs) i haven't forgotten you know i don't want your acceptance i don't need it it's too little too late just move out of the way i'm i'm happy for the new generation i'm happy for them that love simon and love victor exists and they have family friendly happy stories that include queer people Oh, sure. to lean on and they have now background characters in Disney TV shows or Nickelodeon shows and like gay Pikachus um, 500 first queer characters in Disney what gay Pikachus <gasps> oh yeah there's like some sort of episode of Pokemon where you can see all these like Pikachus holding hands and there's two girl Pikachus holding hands and there's two boy Pikachus holding hands yay okay there's a Pikachu that like taped a little heart onto the back of their tail so now they're like I guess a trans Pikachu was the implication (laughs) okay Okay, though, I do want to say that after my whole rant about not feel like not needing acceptance, I do like gay Pikachu. I'm I'm here for gay Pikachu. That's cute. Well, and so I I am very happy for kids today that they have gay Pikachu. Me too. And like, yeah, I'm I'm happy that kids have a palatable and family friendly way to learn to accept themselves and to to gain a foothold in in feeling like they belong because it sucks yeah i mean yeah i growing up i didn't have that and i grew up in the south and it was dangerous to be gay and mm-hmm. i mean i grew up and will and grace was probably the biggest queer representation you had on tv yeah and that's not good, but it is what it is. I don't need to go on an hour-long rant about why Will Grace changed the face of queer culture, but uh. that's fine. I do remember, though, I have this very stark memory of in high school, and I'm aging myself here, y'all. In high school, I went to see Brookback Mountain. Same. <laughs> Sat down with my friend, bunch of old people here to watch this indie art movie about gay cowboys. Mm-hmm. And 
about two-thirds of the way through the movie, well past the sex scene and the much kissing. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I know this story, so I'm cracking up. <gasps> this older, very country gentleman near the front just shouts, If those two boys kiss again, I'm leaving. <laughs> I want to know what this what this man thought he was going to see this I, day at the movies. <laughs> no, my I had a great one too where a guy came out of Carol and he was like, gays are just in everything everywhere now and I'm like, Yeah, they're even ripping your tickets and then he was really uncomfortable. Well and so skipping back a minute, Carol. Right. Would you say Carol was a queer movie made for queer people or a queer movie made for straight people? I'd say it's a queer movie made for queer people. I feel like a lot of queer movies made for straight people are more focused on, like, the trauma of being queer. Like, cause they, cause straight people kinda can't move past that. They don't, they don't think that we maybe even like being gay and not sleeping with men or women or whichever. Cause, um, I would say that Brokeback Mountain is for straight people because Brokeback Mountain is about masculine men falling in love and then the whole movie is about how that's a trouble for them. And like, don't get me wrong, in Carol it's definitely touched upon that it's it's dangerous for them and blah blah blah. Personally, I feel like Carol is the Brokeback Mountain for lesbians. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing that does it for me is that it seemed to care more about their, like, developing relationship and their bonding. Whereas, I remember in Brokeback Mountain, Heath Ledger maybe said seven words, and then they were fucking in a tent. I don't know, it didn't really seem to develop their relationship past that, after that. I don't necessarily think there's a distinction all the time. I would definitely have called Carol a queer movie for queer people, especially because the original novel, The Price of Salt, is written by a lesbian, actually, in the 50s. And it also has a happy ending, where, like, the main couple stays together and, mm. like, are, like, fuck, you know, heteronormative society, I guess. And, you know, in Brokeback Mountain, one of the guys gets hate crime to death. Mm -hmm. And I think at least some of that speaks to the difference in visibility for different queer people in in America, because both of these films are set in America, where lesbian relationships and relationships between women are usually pretty invisible because mm -hmm. women are just sort of expected to be more emotional and have closer relationships and be more touchy-feely and blah blah blah. That's like true. the way straight women say my girlfriend, mm. which drives me absolutely up a fucking wall. Stop doing um, that, straighties. Yeah, stop calling your platonic friends your girlfriend, please. Yeah. And hate crime rates uh, against women are lower than they are against men, gay men, at least, at least in my country. I don't know about other places in the world. And so I definitely think that the difference in the two movies speaks to, like, a difference in safety, where the male couple 
has to be extraordinarily secretive. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, there's sort of an understanding between them that, like, this is not a permanent thing. We will not grow old with one another. Like, we will eventually get married and have kids and go on and lead the lives we're supposed to have, and they do. And their attraction to one another is sort of a, like, lingering nuisance (laughs) that they are trying to overcome, and, you know, because of the power of love, they just can't. And that's, like, not as deathly important that there be, like, total secrecy in Carol. At one point, they just go on a road trip together mm. and, like, stay in motels, and it's not at all suspicious that two women would share a motel room. Like, it's it's just not at all considered a suspect thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and they are, like, in a rural place. Yeah. Like, very so rural. And Carol takes place in New York City. Yeah. And so I think there's a the comparison between them definitely speaks to like the difference of oppression or the, the at least difference of safety between male couples and female couples and also between like rural and urban settings mm-hmm. in like the mid century. And I definitely would have considered Carol like, I don't know, I'm a queer woman and I fucking <laughs> loved it. So I did too. Maybe I'm a fucking normie, but like I, totally loved it also i love like may december romances like that's Hell another yeah. thing that i really love but that's not a factor really in brokeback mountain no but i don't know if there's always a distinction because i i definitely think there's something to the idea that straight people love torture porn of yes homosexuals and yeah. and queer people especially during the aids crisis uh-huh. when that was the first time most uh straight people learned about, like, gay subculture in a mainstream way, because it was on the fucking news every night. You get AIDS stories kind of like Rent. Okay, so this is me going off the Wikipedia uh, article. So if the Wikipedia article is incorrect, I apologize. But they identify Angel as a crossdresser, and they also identify Angel's boyfriend as gay. In the musical, people use both gendered like male masculine feminine pronouns to refer to Angel so I am assuming that like most drag queens they use feminine pronouns like what in drag and male pronouns outside of drag anyway um those two characters are like not really the main characters like right. the main characters who have AIDS are a heterosexual couple mm-hmm. and uh both got it from drug use if I recall correctly mm-hmm. And so, like, even in a, like, the famous work about AIDS, like, the queerness is still kind of sidelined as, like, unpalatable. There is, uh, which, and, like, I think the best comparison to Rent is, uh, Tony Kushner's Angels in America, which is written by a gay man and is about a gay couple, uh, during the AIDS crisis. And I'm pretty sure won a Pulitzer. Because it's such a fucking phenomenal play. It's very good. Uh, That's queer for queers. What the fuck was I looking up? Um, what it won. Right, thank you. Uh, it won, it won like every Tony. And yes, it won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So, yeah, Angels in America, which is something that like really fronts the queer experience written by a queer author during the AIDS crisis compared to Rent, 
which is like I have a lot of problems with rent mm. right off the bat. I do not think rent is good, but it even like manages to marginalize its queer characters in its story in favor of like the heterosexual main couple. Yeah, which is just annoying. <laughs> I just I don't necessarily think that there is always a line because you know memes are pivy and they like to sort things into black and white for the sake of humor. I don't always necessarily think that there is a line of, like, something being for gay people and for straight people. And I think it can be funny to, like, say that this is for straight people mm-hmm. and point out all the ways that it's not directly representative of someone's queer experience. But, like, I have watched completely heterosexual things and come away feeling like that was for me. Titanic. Like, that, that was for the gays, you know? And sure, I am sure that a straight person would not have that reading of it at all. Yeah. So it, it's definitely like, I'm sure there are gay people who watch Rent and are like, God, that's me or no, something. I know, you know there are gay people yeah. who are like that with Rent. <laughs> and so, all like, of my friends are I like think that it's wrong. And like, I don't think Rent is very good. And I think it's written from a very heteronormative viewpoint. And not only is it written from that viewpoint, it perpetuates that viewpoint through its source, or not through its source material, but through its content. But I'm sure gay people out there, queer people out there vehemently disagree with me. And at least generally, I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong. Like, I sure would have specific arguments that they're wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. if I knew specifically what they consider, like, to be indicative of queer experience. But no, I'm not going to say that, like, something like Brokeback Mountain doesn't accurately portray some facet of the queer experience or that it's for straight people. Like, there are definitely, like, torture porn elements to it of, like, a queer story can only end in tragedy, which it also does in Rent. But I don't think that that condemns a work as a whole to being for straight people. No. 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 And, I mean... I'm not saying that it's all black and white, of course. We live in shades of gray. Nothing is all good or all bad or all queer and all straight. What I'm saying is when you're talking about an intended audience, say when it comes to cartoons, let's simplify it to something way more benign. Legend of Korra was very groundbreaking for children's media having it end with, big air quotes, a queer couple. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was very important to a bunch of people. I was a little old for Legend of Korra. And that wasn't enough for me to feel hashtag validated. But I know it was very important for people. Oh, sure. So I'm happy for those people. I don't feel like that moment was specifically a moment for straight people, though. I do feel like even though I, as a queer, didn't care about it, just because it me and that I was not the specific targeted age range I do think it was an attempt to to try and become somewhat more inclusive yeah and be more sensitive to the queer experience I guess or just queer representation in media so I would say that if I had to if I had to put Legend of Korra in a queer for queer or queer for straight box it would go in queer for queer, personally. And then, you know, there's shit like Yuri on Ice that definitely ends up in the queer for straights box. 
I would say that too, yeah. Well, it was just my understanding that for Legend of Korra, they, the creators wanted to end, like, more definitely on there being, like, a queer romance, and Nickelodeon just said no. Yeah. So for my understanding, that that's, it's 100% like as far as they were allowed to go. I think a good moment for for coding, which we've talked about before, which is we are, we are imbuing this, this moment to these characters with elements of queerness, I guess. Well, I just wanted to say like, not even just queerness, because you know, you can code for other things, but at least elements of queerness to the degree that we are allowed. Yeah. And yeah, I am, it's kind of disappointing that Nickelodeon didn't allow them to. I also think the fact that both of these, and Shira, uh, all of these pairings are to women, whether they're lesbian or bisexual, again, mm-hmm. speaks to the normalization of affection between women and like this idea that two women hanging out in love with each other are gal pals or something. That's just normal female affection hanging out. And it's definitely more palatable to a mainstream audience than two men deeply Mm -hmm. in love with one another. Yeah. Because, yeah, all of these, like, representative queer moments in cartoons and, like, sort of YA media are almost uniformly two women. Yeah. At least that I can think of sitting right here right now. Admittedly, I'm not into uh, animation fandom a lot anymore because it is uh, toxic and horrible and I, I simply do not possess the the strength or resilience to be around that many aunties. Oh man, that is where I live. Speaking of toxic and horrible, Steven Universe <laughs> is another one. Steven Universe is another one where, where women are allowed to be queer and men are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because... Yeah, men and masculinity is seen as, like, inherently predatory, especially toward, you know, children and especially adjacent to queerness. It definitely angers more people when there is a male-male queer pairing versus a female queer pairing, because we are conditioned to view female affection, female intimacy as normal and feminine, and intimacy is not a male masculine trait, we are told, by mm-hmm. society. And you know, that's why you get fucking I hate my wife jokes. <laughs> yeah. Even in heterosexual pairings, the idea is that women are intimate and emotional and men are distant and mean. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird. It's not. Not for no reason. I I have my issues with masculinity, to be sure. Oh, Sure. But it does, it does kind of depress me. Anyway, that's much. Well, no, and I do think that, like, even the comparison between something like Carol and Call Me By Your Name, like, Carol didn't get one tenth of the backlash that Call Me By Your Name did. Exactly. Because they're two men, and that's seen as somehow inherently more predatory and discomforting to a mainstream audience. That age difference was less in Call Me By Your Name, too. Mm. Just throwing that out there. It's interesting. Owl House is another one where it's two girls. And that's on a Disney show. Owl House, yeah. I don't know anything about Owl House. Again, I am not in animation fandom anymore because I I apparently don't hate myself that much. Mm. Could have fooled me. But <laughs> I hate myself a bunch. I do not have the, the patience or the fortitude 
to listen to a 16-year-old's opinion on anything. No. I do... <laughs> Especially something as inconsequential as a cartoon. I do know that Aaron Hansen is a voice on Owl House. That's all I know, though. Shout out to Aaron Hansen. <laughs> he does not need our shout out. Don't worry. I know he, he doesn't. He's infinitely more famous than us. I know. I just like Friend him. Friend of the show, Aaron Hansen. <laughs> I'm also, I, I do want to mention also uh, Mary Renault, who wrote the Alexander trilogy and has written other, or wrote, she is deceased now, wrote other male same-sex love stories throughout her career and was a lesbian, or at least lived with her live-in girlfriend her whole life. Aww. And wrote many, many novels about queerness and queer men, uh, most famously the Alexander Trilogy, and it is, you know, a story about Alexander the Great. A lot of it is devoted to his relationships with his male lovers, the ones that we historically know about, because, you know, ancient Greece and bisexuality. And that's another example, I guess, of a, of a actual queer author writing about queer characters. And, like, at the time, like, in the 60s and 70s, her books were revered. Like, I don't know, maybe it's because she was writing about old dead Macedonians, but people loved them, and they, they are still fondly remembered as classics. I don't know, uh, maybe everyone was on too, too much acid in the 60s to care. Like, actually, if you want to talk about queer content for straight people... I would 100% argue that Drag Race is queer content yep. for straight people. Mm -hmm, I yep, know you like too. it, Liz, <laughs> but I think RuPaul's Drag Race is just 100% a spectacle for straight people. Yep. And I don't understand the appeal at all. I don't think the early seasons were. I think it became queer content That's for straight possible. people. Yes. I think in the way any reality TV show works, you have to raise the stakes and every season you have to be better than the last and so if you watch season one compared to season 10 you have drag queens wearing dresses that you could get off the rack at ross versus wearing <laughs> dresses that are like couture designer handmade for them and these drag yeah. queens can't sew a single stitch and like mm -hmm. okay that's fine whatever i'm not here to tell you how to do drag but there is i think a difference, a change along the way. I, yeah, but I'd buy that. I would buy that too. For me, it was just interesting to witness the, like, transition in the mainstream dialogue of, like... Drag. Drag, and watching, like, Yas Queen happen in real time. Yeah. <laughs> like, from that being a thing that people did not know, to that being a thing that my middle-aged father knows. Yeah. So, but thankfully, like, does not say. Does not say. Just knows of. White people yeah. stop saying it. Even white queer people stop saying it. It's not for you. Stop and so, it. like again, it felt like a defanging experience to, uh -huh. like you know, take the mystery and the subversiveness away from drag to just kind of make it an easy spectacle for for a mainstream straight audience to consume. Dresses and I'm sure, and I'm sure that was no one's like intention. I I'm sure a group of like shadowy executives didn't sit down in a boardroom and like connive the way to make to like profit off of queer creativity but you know, that's kind of what happened even if it was no one's intention uh-huh i think it was some people's intention towards the end 
That's fine. No, I mean, like, from day one, I mean, from when, like, like, the fact that this show got on the air is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I guess the fact that it became a phenom is pretty amazing, to the point that, yeah, my middle-aged white father Mm -hmm. (laughs) knows what Yas Queen is. But Uh. that show has an audience that something like Pose or Paris is Burning does not have. Yeah. To me, like, Paris is Burning is queer media for queer people. Like, it is a documentary about the ball scene in the 80s in New York, where a lot of these, like, cultural affectations and styles and whatnot of drag developed, like, for the first time, and they're, they're still around today. And Pose is a, like, fictitious show set during that era. Well, and you know what's frustrating is because RuPaul is an older drag from New York and there's a lot of queer culture that just isn't being passed on to the youth because the youth never wants to listen. No. Mm. There's a lot of references to stuff like Paris is Burning or New York drag culture from that time that is in the show that straight people don't know. Mm -hmm. Like the library is open or you know, purse first or <laughs> shit like that. That like if you even just watch Paris is burning. Yeah. You know, as a straight person you'd be like, Oh where Paul says that. Mm. Oh, That's God. Queen <laughs> And like yeah, like I guess that is my frustration with something like RuPaul, which I guess happens anytime a subculture goes from being subversive and kind of dangerous to, you know, crossing over to the mainstream, it it gets appropriated. Yeah. And so I just wish that the historical knowledge was there for... But, you know, no one wants to sit down and watch a fucking history documentary because people are... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I do too. I fucking love history, I but most people too. don't. <laughs> most people don't want to sit down and watch a history documentary when they could watch drag queens, you know, catfighting... It's sad to see that historical knowledge lost, or if not lost, ignored. Yeah. Well, like the Stonewall movie that <gasps> completely whitewashes. Did anyone see that? Apparently, the new queers have because they think that Stonewall is two okay. words. Okay. I, <sighs> I will say this. I know we're not going to do kink at pride discourse, but someone made a tweet. I don't remember who. Someone just made a tweet about, like, you know, kink belongs at Pride. Something, like, along those lines. And then some fucking moron re-quote retweeted it. (laughs) Saying, and I quote, Last time I checked, no one was wearing bondage at Stonewall. Stonewall was two words. Two words. (laughs) Stonewall. (laughs) These motherfuckers. And I mean, you know... In the photos of the Stonewall riots, you can see leather daddies. So I don't know what the fuck this person was on, but I I had to take a break. I, I had to I had to log off, as the kids say, because they had divorced the notion of queerness and Stonewall so utterly that they thought that this was a dunk. They thought that this was an irrefutable claim of 
queer normalcy, I yeah. guess, that no one at Stonewall was in bondage. <laughs> I just And I had a violent impulse that day. <laughs> I actually did not. I lost <laughs> my mind laughing. I quote retweeted them, and I said last time you checked, you couldn't even tell that Stonewall was couldn't one word. Couldn't even spell Stonewall! <laughs> and then they blocked me. <laughs> but, I mean... <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Would you, can you not even Google it? Like, not even the word? You're not even going to Google the word to make sure you're spelling it correctly? It's, it's a really simple word. You shouldn't get it wrong, but you did. If (laughs) someone, bitch, if someone said, who's Marsha P. Johnson, you wouldn't fucking know. (gasps) Fuck off. Oh. Uh, like, uh, yeah, we're not gonna get into the whole. So that sort of shit bothers me. (laughs) And like, that was at least from their Twitter profile, that was a queer person. Yeah. So that's sort of the state of mm-hmm. Zoomer culture queerness in America, at least. It's fucking bleak. Yeah. And they have attached their tongues firmly to the sole of the state's boot mm-hmm. and don't seem inclined on moving anytime soon. I fucking, I guarantee you we are going to see a resurgence of Gen Z going back to religion. People are going, mark my words, church attendance is going up. Ew. I hate Mm -hmm. that so much. Who's to say? Who's to say if it's because children now have safer queer media? Which I'm happy that they have. I want that to be very clear. I am happy children have safer queer media. I am happy children have Owl House and Steven Universe and She-Ra. And <laughs> I was gonna say Voltron, but that's a whole <laughs> different barrel of monkeys. But there is a gay male relationship in Voltron. Hey! There is one. Woohoo! Yeah, they're yes. exes. Yes, but it's not treated like any of the female pairings we've talked about. Ab- you Much are to your point. You that's are fucking a right. point. Yes, it just it exists. To my knowledge, they're exes. <laughs> is that correct? As far as I remember. Okay, so they're not e- they're not even in a relationship during no. the time they're on screen, because that would be too upsetting. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. yes, and this is not even touching on the seething hydra that is uh, Voltron <laughs> fandom. Not going anywhere near it. I don't think we'll ever talk about Voltron, because I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> there are certain fandoms I want to do, like, retrospectives of, and Voltron is not one of them. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe five years from now, yeah. I'm not quite as insane. Actually, before recording, we were talking about someone in fandom who we will never talk about because we are too afraid of them. Yep. They're psycho. So there's some behind-the-scenes info for you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy for y'all that you have your happy queerness. I hope that we get more representation. I really do. I hope that that doesn't lead to new baby Nancy Reagans, though. And I'm really afraid it will. (laughs) I don't want that to lead to, like, queer complacency. And, like, that appears to be what we have now, at least amongst middle-class teenagers and young adults on Twitter. Again, not the greatest... Mostly white. And predominantly white. Not the greatest sample of all time. No. Uh, but it seems to me that at least in like middle class liberal America, you can come out 
at least as gay or bisexual, coming out trans is still pretty dicey. But mm-hmm. you can at least come out gay, bisexual, some form of queer, and not risk getting kicked out of your house or facing violence, at least from your immediate family. Again, not unilateral, but there has definitely been, in the last 20 years, a shift toward more gay and queer acceptance. And in 2015, I think it was, in America, the the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage federally. 2015? Yes, because I had, like, just moved here. Yes, and so there is at least... Some, for the time being, there is at least some state protection for, uh, queer relationships alongside heterosexual relationships. And it appears now that sort of analogous to the civil rights movement when white people thought racism was over, it seems now that straight people and baby queer people who don't really know a time before this think homophobia is over. Yeah. And it is not. And you should not be complacent because there are gay rocks on your dumb fucking cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that kids today have cartoons and and fun things with family-friendly queerness, and that's nice. And I'm not trying to belittle it. That is nice. I, I mean that. But I need you kids to know... You still need to watch Paris is Burning. You still need to know what it took. And how to to survive a plague. Yeah. And the band played on. You need to know Mm -hmm. the band played on too. God, It's just accessible to people. If you don't want to watch a documentary, (laughs) it's got Ian McKellen in it and Richard Gere and, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Right, right. But uh, the point that I'm making is you have to know what it took to get us here. It wasn't fun, it wasn't cute, and it wasn't normative. We threw bricks at cops while wearing leather, and and it was hard, and we got arrested and murdered. Not at Stonewall, nobody died at Stonewall, that's... <laughs> that's, <laughs> another, that's another myth. It's <laughs> another... Don't... Uh, calm down. But it took a lot of work, and it took a lot of lives, and... God damn it, appreciate it. You can't just be like, oh, well, we're here now. Because, come on, people. You know that's bullshit. Okay, I'm done. Also watch Hedwig oh, and the yeah. Angry Inch. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Definitely I, I, watch Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I stand a little bit for that one when we talked about the Montero video, but yeah. it's a very good movie. That is the queer musical. <laughs> <laughs> that is the queer musical, not Rent. <laughs> exactly. Fuck Rent. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. All the way. Okay. You can stop listening now, kids. <laughs> oh, and the celluloid closet. <gasps> celluloid closet, that's in one, too. Celluloid closet's good shit. <laughs> so since we talked about the thing, why don't we go ahead and, in lieu of talking about what we're geeking on, do you have a personal favorite queer recommendation to share? Yes. So it's called That's Revolting, and it's a book of essays Queer Strategies for Resisting Assimilation. And it's edited by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. It's from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, there is even a reference 
specifically to Chaz Bono before he transitioned. Yeah. Aww. So, like, very old. So it's old. I definitely recommend it. It provides a very good theoretical framework as to why assimilation for queers is bad, actually, and you should do everything in your power to resist it. Mm-hmm. Lawrence of Arabia is one for me because uh, the director, David Lean, and Peter O'Toole, the actor, definitely lean into T.E. Lawrence's, like, supposed homosexuality that remains unconfirmed by history, blah, blah, blah. But they definitely lean into it in Lawrence of Arabia. It's also just one of the greatest films ever made, and I love it. It's beautiful. Why the Last Man, that's a good one. (gasps) Why the Last Man's great. Why the Last Man is a comic book series that was published in the early 2000s, where some sort of mysterious plague kills every mammal with a Y chromosome in one day. And so basically, overnight, society is all female, and they have to learn how to operate, except for this one guy, whose name is York, and mysteriously, for some reason, he and his pet rhesus monkey have survived the plague, and nobody knows why. There are a lot of uh, lesbian or same-sex female relationships, and there are a number of transgender characters. So... It's not necessarily about queerness, but there is a lot of... It's like a spec fiction that sort of examines what would happen if just tomorrow, for no reason, every mammal with a, with a Y chromosome killed over dead. I'm trying to think of something else. God's Own Country came out last year. God's Own Country That was beautiful. very good. Give me a minute. Bliss, go. You, you do <laughs> So I would recommend two musicals. I would recommend Straight Out of Oz by Todrick Hall. Oh, yeah. Which is excellent. He grew up in the Dallas area, so it's an interesting look at his life growing up queer in Texas. <laughs> the beginning, like, really resonates with me. And then I would also recommend Fun Home, which is also a graphic novel, if you're not into musicals. But this musical is fantastic, so read it and listen to the musical. It's very good. Uh, the song Ring of Keys. Makes me cry every single time I hear it, because that's exactly what it felt like realizing that you were attracted to a woman as a child, or at least for me it yeah. was. <laughs> oh, um, you should recommend the book I got you. Oh, Leather and Lace? I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, it's just Megan Cubed? I think it's Megan Cubed. It's, she is a self-published author, she's on Twitter, she writes queer, supernatural erotica and it's so cute! She has her first novel called Leather and Lace, which is about a vampire and a, like... Monster hunter. Monster hunter. And they have, like, a weird buddy cop relationship that gradually, <laughs> gradually becomes romantic and both of them are freaked out by it. And it's very good, and I'm eagerly Ooh. looking forward to the next books in the series. And the main character is also from Texas. It's very cute. And the characters are all very well defined. Like, every character is very different, has a very different voice. Even characters that are only around for a moment. (laughs) Well, I will go ahead and list all our recommendations in the description and on our Twitter. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Blissfully Show. I post links to our YouTube there as well. If you're watching us on YouTube... Hello, happy Pride. Like, comment, let us know your queer recommendations. We're always looking for new things. Oh, definitely. And until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Get vaccinated.
it's a cookie. It's not a sexy thing to me. <laughs>